Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. So I wanna say the only shame Jesus ever felt, felt on the cross. He was never ashamed because he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. But on the cross, he bore our sin and he bore our shame and he suffered in our place. He knows all that because he's experienced it there on the cross. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Free Indeed. We are in John chapter eight, and we will take up today in verse 42 and go through the end of this chapter. As Pastor Sam says, Jesus is about to take the gloves off and go toe to toe with the Pharisees. While we love to see Jesus set things straight, this is a little sad, as these are some of the very same people he came to die for. So let's listen in. They're actually making a pretty radical accusation. It was meant, by the way, to shame him and to enable them to regain the higher ground, you see, as undefiled spiritual leaders. They accomplished neither, and here's why. There were two kinds of people listening in, people who would have been, well, influenced by them and people who are listening to them and listening to Jesus, and they're like, these guys are kind of haters. And uh, Jesus, he's a lover. These guys, they seem to, to want to take him out. And he seems to be reaching out to them. And it's just not seems to be. He was trying to convince them, not win arguments, convince them that everything he was telling them was true. Why? Because he came to save them from their sins, from themselves. But they weren't having it. So I want to say the only shame Jesus ever felt, he felt on the cross. He was never ashamed because he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. But on the cross, he bore our sin and he bore our shame and he suffered in our place. He knows all that because he's experienced it there on the cross. So Jesus addresses this one and note, he hasn't really gone toe to toe with them. He hasn't taken the gloves off, but he's about to. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Came from the Father to reconcile them and us to the Father. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. And for the first time in all of these um, discussions and, and interactions, Jesus just tells them like it is. You are of your father, the devil. They say, you're born of fornication, dude. He goes, oh yeah, well, you're of the devil. And, and I like that because it's like for, you know, he's been so gracious and I'm so grateful for that. And he's so kind and he's so merciful and he's so patient. And I'm really grateful for all that too. But somebody had to tell these guys, you know, the truth. And he's telling them, you're not of Abraham because you're not walking by faith and obedience. And you're not of the Father, because if you were of the Father, you'd love me. You're of your Father, the devil, and the desires of your Father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. It's why I brought up Eve's temptation, 
because he's telling us exactly who Satan is and what he does and why he does it. Well, I tell you the truth, but you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. The thing that's a little bit troubling is this all began in verse 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him. These are the ones who didn't immediately reject him. He's speaking to the group. And then he has to focus on this small group of people who aren't there to believe at all. They're just there to accuse. And who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. They're just there to lie. And who's the lying father of lies? Satan. They are of the devil. And again, it's a reminder that Judas, for all his experience with Jesus, being called by him and discipled by him and empowered and sent out two by two with the others, Judas never committed himself to Christ. He never gave his life to the one who came to die for our sin, buried and risen again. Judas, Jesus will say later, was the son of perdition. And when he died, he went to his own place, not to be with the father, but to be with the, the one who rejected Jesus and rejected the father from the very beginning. If, he says, he who hears God's words, he who is of God hears God's words. Listen. He is defining for us, not just what a disciple is, but what a Christian really is. A real Christian, all these things should be true of. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. He says God's children love both father and son. First John, John will write, he who has the son has the father. He who is not the son of God does not have the father. So, Jesus will say, no one comes to the Father but by me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus comes to glorify the Father. But more than that, he comes to reconcile us to the Father, to redeem us for the Father, and to secure us that our faith in him will be all that we need when we stand before the Father. Well, Satan's offspring hate Jesus. They hate the truth. They hate the light. They're murderers and liars just like him. And again, not saying he has any physical offspring. Satan's a spirit being, but he has those who think like him and act like him and speak like him. And if you're a child of God, you're going to think and act and speak like the God who saved you, created you in the first place and then redeemed you when you were dead in trespasses and sin. Well, we add three more then to our list of seven signs of a true or authentic disciple. We abide in Jesus' word. That was the first. He's the vine, by the way, and we're the branches. When we get to John 15, he'll say, hey, you're abiding in my word. You need to abide in me as well. We know the truth. We know reality and we experience it objectively and demonstrably. And then the third, the truth sets us free, free to live for him, to worship him, to find out what he has for us specifically, individually, and corporately. The fourth, we walk by faith like Abe. Verse 39, we read it. But, but elsewhere, Abe believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. 
What was verse 39? Let me read it to you. Uh, They said, Abraham's our father. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. And then in verse 42, if you're truly a disciple of Jesus, if you're authentic, then you'll love Jesus. And and that's that's the fifth. We abide in him and in his word. We know the truth. The truth sets us free. We walk by faith like Abe and we love Jesus. By the way, when he wants to prove his love to us, he always points us to the cross because no greater demonstration of love has ever been offered. But when we want to prove our love to him, he tells us all that we need do to do that. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Just do what I tell you to do. And that will prove to be visible, observable, and objective proof. And the sixth is we hear God's words. It was there in verse 47. He was of God, hears God's words. In their case, they weren't of God, so they didn't hear God's words. Oh, they heard what he was saying, but they couldn't process it. So they hear God's words. Jesus will later and elsewhere say, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So I jot for myself, am I? And are you? Do we? Do we abide in him and know the truth? And are we free? Are we still in bondage to some sin? Are we walking by faith and obedience? Are we loving Jesus And are we hearing his words? Well, the Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say, verse 48, that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, you know you've lost the argument, not that Jesus is arguing with him. They're arguing with with him. um, He is revealing truth to them. And they're like, "Uh, aren't we rightly saying, don't we rightly say that you are a Samaritan And you have a demon. You know you've lost the argument when you resort to racial slurs. And that's what they're doing. They're they're like, oh, yeah, well, here's a low blow for you. You're a Samaritan. It's like, listen, Jesus doesn't even flinch at it. He doesn't care about it because he loves Samaritans. He's not ashamed to be called a Samaritan. Doesn't happen to be one, but call him that all you want. He doesn't care. But to say he's demon possessed, no, you've crossed the line, you see. And that's what they're saying. You have a demon. And so the first, again, no big deal to him, but to say he's demon-possessed, that's unimaginable. It's unforgivable. He'll later make it clear. To attribute his work to the enemy of our souls, that's the one sin that's unforgivable, that will never be forgiven. And saying that he's possessed by demons would be saying the same thing here. He answers saying, I don't have a demon. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. It's another reminder. He's not trying to win an argument. He's trying to win them to the truth that could set them free. He says, I don't seek my own glory. They did. There's one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And that brings us to the seventh of the seven signs of a true or authentic disciple. And that is we have everlasting life. He says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, he doesn't mean physically because clearly 
if, unless he comes soon for us, all of us will die. And by the way, it isn't always you get old and you die. A lot of people never survive to their latter years. I've already accomplished that, so I feel like things are going good. I'm, you know, I'm on his time and his clock, certainly. And you really are as well. If you're 14 or you're 94, he has a day appointed for you. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But when we stand before Jesus in the first resurrection, because we're in Christ Jesus, he is going to test our works. He, and he's going to reward us for things that we're going to be like, really, you're kidding. It was just a cup of water. He says, you can't give a cup of water to someone in my name without expecting or without, in, you know, receiving a reward. We shouldn't expect it. We should be shocked by it. And, and unlike those who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? We're going to say, Lord, when did we? But he's going to say, when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So he says, we have everlasting life. It's a radical claim and it's true. I want to it's a short thing, but I got to read them to you. Well, John 3, 16, I think I can tell that one to you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? But have everlasting life. Yeah, you know. He's saying we're not going to perish. We're secure in him. We have now and will always possess his free gift of everlasting life. John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 4, 14, to the woman at the well, he who believe, uh, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 6, 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting lasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. John 6, 47, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. He couldn't be clearer. We're only in chapter eight and over and over and over and over and over. He's reinforced this reality. If we're in him, we're forgiven every sin. If we're forgiven every sin and been given life eternal, that life will never be taken from us. And we're not about to forfeit it. Don't imagine for a minute that Judas lost his salvation. You can't lose something you never had. Judas was the son of perdition. He never yielded his life to Jesus. And yet Jesus was able to use him. And it's a sobering thought that millions, and I already read it, will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? And he'll say, I never knew you like that. Depart from me. Well, the Jews, verse 52, said to him, in response, now we know you have a demon. No, they don't. They don't know that because it's not true. Abraham's dead, they said. 
That's not true. Abraham's still alive. His body died, but he's around, conscious and awaiting the Lord. And the prophets, they're dead. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Listen, I'm wondering if they really believed he was demon-possessed, why are they still talking to him and arguing with him? If I met someone demon-possessed, I'd like, I would just pray, Lord, free him. And if it didn't like it was working, look like it was working, I'd call Bud. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I would not get in an argument with somebody who's out of their mind mentally or demon-possessed spiritually because neither of those can be dealt with by arguing. There's just prayer and there's just truth. And Jesus is saying, and they're accusing him of these crazy things that they say, are you greater than our father Abraham? You know, the woman at the well asked a very similar question. Are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well and drank from it? And the answer is yes, I'm greater than Jacob. And yes, I'm greater than Abraham. And, and how does he answer that question? Well, first he tells them in verse 56. Um, oh no, verse 54. Oh, this is also important. Jesus first answered and said, if I honor myself, if I glorify and praise myself, something they were fond of doing, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me of whom you say he is your God. Yet you've not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I should be a liar like you. So he's starting to get there, right? He's like, you're of your father, the devil. He's a liar and you're liars. And, and, and I'm not going to lie or I'd be like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Two thoughts. He says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. I was thinking of all the radical things that happened to Abraham, promised a child at 75, finally born when he's 100, his wife 65 and now 90. And I think they saw a miracle there and got a little glimpse of Jesus in the process. But the ultimate example of him seeing, Abraham seeing Jesus' day, getting a picture of who he is and what he came to do would be that on on that mount where he had taken that three-day journey with his son Isaac. They ascended. It's in Genesis 22 for you to check out later if you're new to it. Most of you know it. They ascend that mountain. Isaac's a bright kid. He's like, hey, I've got the wood and we got the lamb for the, I've got the wood and we've got the fire. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abe prophetically says, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. You know, they find a ram. There's a whole slew of practical lessons in that. I'd encourage you to go back and check it out. But, but they find a ram caught in the thicket. It's substituted for Isaac. So he survives that whole thing. But, but we know that, that that's a ram. And, and he said it would be a lamb. And where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Well, John showed us in the early part. He records in his gospel, John the Baptist, the other John, saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb that was promised, Jesus is 
that lamb. So they're, they're saying, you know, you've seen Abraham. He created Abraham. He called Abraham. He worked miracles for and through Abraham. Everything good in Abraham's life was about Jesus. And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's because he pre-existed all of his creation. Everything visible and invisible, everything natural and spiritual, temporal and eternal. Hebrews says he created it all. And it all exists for him, we're told in Colossians. So he pre-existed his creation. He is the creator of all things. He's the author of life. He's the giver of life, life eternal, life abundant. He's our living hope. Yeah, he was before Abraham. I am, that's the name that God gave to Moses when he sent him to, to speak to the children of Israel. And he's like, well, if they don't believe, what do I say? Who should I say sent me? He said, just tell them I am sent you. And, and listen, the I am, that statement, the, the, the letters that, that are unpronounceable to us that, that are translated here, I am, that it speaks of his pre-existence of his current existence and of his existence into, well, what will be a never-ending future. He is, I am. Verse 59, then they took up stones to throw at him. I mentioned that there were two kinds of people, I think, that were there that day. There were those who were listening and longing to understand, and there are those who'd absolutely decided we just got to find some way to take him out. And at this point, they're so infuriated, they decide we're going to stone him here and now. But Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. No one who heard him and saw him, who stood in his presence, was unmoved by him. Everyone responded in some way to him. So some chose to believe. I hope that would be true of every single one of you. I can't know. I can't see inside. But I pray there's not a Judas among us, someone who's going to travel with us and work alongside us and always say they believe only to hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. And if there's any chance in your heart and mind that you could be that guy or that gal, then just ask him to forgive you and give you life today and, and move you from death to life and deception to truth and darkness to light. Some chose to believe and follow. I pray that's everyone here's choice and that everyone we love, listen, even those people we don't love so much, I know we're supposed to love everyone. Eh, it's hard. It just flat out is. There are some people that are so despicable. I'm like, God, how can you even love them? And he goes, you really don't know yourself, do you? I love you. That's how I can love them. And, and so, so here's the point. There are some who are following him and believing him and being transformed by him. Others decide he's got to die, but they don't get to put him to death. Not here, not now, and not in this way. Know this, whatever people were choosing, Jesus had already made his choice. He chose to come down and become one of us, born of the Virgin Mary. He lived sinlessly. He died a substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. It's vicariously. He rose victoriously, ascended into heaven after presenting himself alive from the dead and he's promised to come again. 
And there are only two kinds of people on planet Earth, those who are ready to see him and hear welcome and enter in, or those who are gonna hear depart from me. Pastor Sam told us that the only shame Jesus ever felt was on the cross. And that was not shame for himself, it was our shame that he bore. Regarding shame, the Apostle Paul told us this in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now this is amazing news. We are not to feel shame before God because Jesus already bore the shame for our sins. And we are not to feel shame before man, for the gospel is not what unbelievers say it is. It is truth, it is reality, and it will never leave you in a place where you must be ashamed of it. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.